Well, it's uh, my honor. We're finishing a teaching series. I posted on social media yesterday. I think sometimes it's more important to finish something than it is to begin it. Who, who agrees with that? So it's great to have you here to finish off our last part of the other 90%. Next Sunday, we're going to start a brand new four-part teaching series called Pulse. And uh, that's going to be happening next Sunday for four Sundays. And then the Sunday after that is going to be our Mother's Day service. Very quickly, we're doing five big events this year. We're doing, we've done our Easter event last Sunday, Mother's Day in May. We're going to do another International East, Eat Street. Who enjoyed that last year? Uh, that's going to become around the middle of the year. We're also going to do a big event for Father's Day and a big event for Christmas. And these are our events. When we say a big event, it's designed specifically to invite friends and family in the community. We do a two and a half thousand, uh, two and a half thousand, two and a half, is it two and a half thousand? Yes, 2,500, uh, I was going to say $2,500, no, it didn't cost that much for flyers, but 2,500 flyers uh, out to the community, so uh, um, to, to see, we had uh, so many, we had the biggest attendance we've ever had in Forever House history last Sunday. Is anyone here excited about that? Uh, you know, some people think, well, why do you count the numbers, why is that important? Well, uh, people count, so we count the people, and... Uh, you know, that's just the end of it. So uh, we have no uh, problem with that. And uh, it's important to see, you know, what level of impact. You know, a healthy church is a church that's uh, growing spiritually, but also we're reaching the community and we're actively building new relationships. And I think that's why it's important we do also look at certain things. So, well, the other 90% part four, um, we're going to get into this uh, today. We've got our slides. Are we ready, AV team? Thank you, guys. We'll move on to the first slide straight away. Thank you, guys. Um, this is part four, and it is called The Buck Starts Here, not The Buck Stops Here. Everyone say starts. The Buck Starts Here. If you're here for the first time, or maybe you only saw one part, this is a teaching series for the first time ever in the history of Forever House. We're doing a teaching series on finances. We've never done it before, and uh, we say that because we actually very rarely talk about money here. Uh, we do a tithe and offering message every week, but we don't really do any teaching series on money. And so we had a lot of uh, people come to Sarah and I wanting mentoring around crazy stuff that was going on with their finances, feeling like they were uh, shrinking, drowning, um, suffocating, whatever word you want to use. It was pretty dramatic. And so we felt, well, we need to bring this wisdom to the church because I think it's one of the biggest problems that Christians face in managing and stewarding their finances, but it's the one that we least like to talk about. And so um, we don't want to shy away here, and we want to, we want to talk about... Uh, so this, this part four uh, is interesting because it's looking at uh, what we actually do in terms of how we steward our finances. So let's, let's quickly have a bit of a summary. We'll go to the next slide, guys. Review part one. So part one was called Mind Your Business. We might get the volume down a little bit here because I'm getting a bit of reverb. Thanks, AV team. Review part one, Mind Your Business. And we talked about that we actually believe lies about money. This part one was mainly about our mindset. Everyone say mindset. And we talked about that God actually has given you a business, not necessarily an actual business, but that your finances are actually not yours. They're God's, and we have to steward them. And when we have that mindset, it actually creates, would you believe, motivation to really uh, intrinsically focus on, well, what are we doing and what aren't we doing and what is our plan of attack? Um, that God has given you something to manage and he's interested in how you respond to that and how you manage your finances. In fact, we looked at the statistics in this part that uh, there are over 5,000 scriptures or something like that, something crazy, where it, um, 
uh, sorry, 500 scriptures related to money. In fact, there's more scriptures to do with money than there is to do with prayer and there is to do with faith in the Bible. Everyone say, are you kidding me? So if it's there, it's something that's important for us to look at. I think the reason why it's important, we talked about this as well, about being smart with your money, is because when when we really have a reality check, is that the God that this world worships is money. Come on, think about it. In fact, the Bible says that the love of all money, what does the love mean there? The worship of money, uh, the love of money, the, the worship of money, the idol, idolizing of money is, is what? Is the root. It's the beginning of all evil, of wrong choices that people make because they're following up the wrong God. So if the God of this world is money, and we know that our God calls us to put him first, why would the Bible not address money and where it relates in our hearts? Come on now, who knows that? And so this was all about mindset. We need to be smart with our money. Second slide, or the next slide, was reviewing part two, act your age. And uh, this was looking at the, one of the biggest problems that we have in Australia is that we ask the wrong questions to do with money. I'm going to get you to drop that volume down a little bit more because I don't have a problem with being loud, but I have a problem with being too loud. Uh, who believes that? Say amen. You can say amen. So we need to just drop that down a little bit there. There we go. Cool. Um, so the... The problem is, is that when we go to borrow money because we want to buy stuff that we don't necessarily need but we want, you know, the shiny objects that are very attractive, uh, we tend to ask the question not, how much should I save first and what's the least amount I can borrow? We usually say, what's the, le- what's the least amount of deposit I have to have for the most amount I can borrow? And so it's the wrong kind of questions that we ask. We talked about it's important about certain decisions that you pray before you pay, meaning you don't have to get weird and, you know, ask God, if you can buy a bottle of water, because that's crazy. That's an everyday item. But when it comes to the plasma screen TV, when it comes to the washing machine, when it comes to the popcorn maker at Maya that's $39 and seems like a cool idea, you buy it, you never use it, only once, and then it sits in the cupboard for about two years, and then you draw it out because you clean the back of the cupboard and go, that's right, I bought that two years ago, never used it, right? And we, we put that on cha-ching, credit card, because it seems like it's great, and it's a shiny object at the time, but we don't really have wisdom sometimes when we make these decisions. Um, and we talk about what's your plan of attack when it comes to managing your finances. Next slide, we'll look at part three. Well, actually, next slide is uh, an extension of part two. Can we go there, guys? Thank you. The table here, uh, if you weren't here for part two, can I encourage you to take a photo of this slide right now? Please, please don't hesitate to take a photo of the slide. These slides are here for you to take photos of. This is actually giving you a breakdown of how do you reduce debt. It's giving you a strategy. And so what is your plan? Uh, it talks about on the left-hand column, there are different examples of debt. So you've got, you know, there's an American example there, but you've got different types of kind of store cards. See how parents, they charge you 0% interest. Isn't that funny? Uh, and so it was talking about these types of debts and the total that you, that, uh, that you owe and then the minimum payment that you make. And so what we're saying here is a lot of times the mindset is we just try to make the minimum payment on all these things. And yet the strategy is, is that you should actually target one. Everyone say one. So you make the minimum payment of all of them, but you target one, and you come up with an extra payment that you can make per month to try to nail the debt of that particular one. So the strategy is on the right-hand side where we're going to choose this one first. We're going to pay the minimum payment, pay all these minimum payments, but instead of just the minimum payment, we're going to put an extra amount on, whether it's 200, another 50, 100, whatever extra per month you can afford, and you continually start hitting that every month with the extra amount, which is hitting it with 250 rather than 50, and then that's going to get paid off within a short amount of time then you apply that strategy so here's the minimum so that debt is now gone line one's gone this minimum payment is 30 but now you take the 250 that you were paying there and you put it on here and you nail that debt and then you nail that debt and you nail that debt and the overall outcome 
is that rather than taking 99 months to pay off kind of all these little payments, we actually pay it off in 21 months, and then we take all of those payments that we were making, and we put that in an interest uh, accumulating account, and we do that for a period of time, and we're able to create, let money make money. Who thinks that that's a good strategy? Can I tell you that people pay good money to financial planners to get that strategy because it's a proven strategy and we're giving it to you here for no charge because this is important. God wants us to not be ruled by debt, not to be a slave to debt, but to actually start to master our debt. Who believes that? So that was part two. Part three, you can see how I'm giving a quick review, was blessed or cursed. And it talked about and, and challenged us that part of God's plan when it comes to finances is for us to give to Him. And we talked about that God actually uses money to test you, uh, and that 10 often is a symbol in the Bible of testing. If you look at, if you study the numbers in the Bible, 10, uh, anything to do with 10, and obviously this is referring to the tithe, means testing. As in, God is interested to see what we do with it. God is interested to see how we respond. And we actually talked about one of the most significant principles that I think is really healthy in the New Testament church today. And we dealt with the argument that many Christians on planet Earth today believe that tithing is only an Old Testament principle. And we absolutely blew that out of the water because we talked about a key scripture where Jesus was actually mocking the Pharisees uh, for tithing alone, meaning that he said, you're tithing, but you're actually not. You look confused, Sandy. You don't remember this point because it was absolutely awesome. So if you can give me a different facial expression like, yeah, you got the point, rather than looking so confused, that might encourage me. Awesome. Amen. Let's give Pastor Sandy a round of applause. The face was this. Okay, we wanted to be like, yeah, it was an awesome point. Okay. <laughs> Amen. It's all right, Pastor Sandy. I love you. Okay, so when it comes to this New Testament principle, it was, it, you know, this, the scripture that we refer to was Jesus was actually criticizing the Pharisees, the religious people, because they weren't doing good, heartly things. They weren't, um, they weren't really, um, you know, being honorable. They weren't being honest. But their whole religious symbol was about them just, you know, paying their tithe. And he actually mocked them in a positive way, and he said, what you're doing is just the minimum you should be doing. In fact, what you should be doing is you should be having more of a heart condition. You should be uh, not so religious and you should be doing all these things that are more heart related. So what we highlighted in the scripture in that Jesus' actual words of the New Testament was he wasn't saying you shouldn't tithe because of an Old Testament principle. You should be doing more of these heart things. He said what you're doing is a bare minimum that you should continue to do. But on top of that, you should focus on more of the condition of the heart things as an added benefit. Can everyone say this? Jesus... In the New Testament, therefore, encourages us to tithe. Tithe was also introduced as a principle before the, the uh, you know, before the, the whole um, uh, covenant, release, covenant was released before with the, the tithe of Abraham. So I know there's many people who would like to sit down and debate, you know, those types of principles for four years. But the main point is this. The main point is this is that God is interested in how we respond with our finances. And so, let's have a look at part four. I'm going to introduce part four. The buck starts here. Let's go to the next slide. I want to jump into this. We're going to go full steam ahead. Is that ever okay for me to go quite quickly today? Okay, good. Excellent. All right. So, if you have a look at the scripture here, Proverbs 6, 6 to 8. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Ouch! Consider it ways its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. 
Who knows when there's a piece of chicken that falls on the floor at a picnic, the ants have no hesitation in gathering it and, going, and taking it away and storing it. Who knows that? Is anyone still alive out there? Yeah. You're okay? You're, still, you, you're all right. Maybe you're still thinking about the tithe principle. Right? You're okay? Moving on to part four. Everyone say part four. Okay, good. Who knows when you have a picnic and chicken drops on the floor, the ants do not hesitate to gather around it, grab a hold of it, mobilize it out, and store it. Okay? They are great examples of God's creation of people who are into saving and managing certain things and not being wasteful. Right? And so we're going to look at this. We're going to look at that the buck starts here. So even the ant has enough common sense to pick up a piece of chicken when it falls to the ground at a picnic. Even the ant knows that he needs to save or she needs to save. And so the question here is, how much do you think... Is there anyone here from Japan? Okay. I can't see. The lights are too bright. So if you're here, I apologize. Hello to everyone from Japan. The percentage here is the average percentage of people in Japan that say, this is the current stats. Do you think it's 5%? Do, they, do you think they save 5%? Okay, not how many Japanese save. What percentage of their income do you think they save? That's the question. What percentage of a typical Japanese person's income do you think they save? 5%? 25? We have 25. Let's do an auction. We have 25. We have 25. Do we have anything lower? We have 5. We have, we have 20. <laughs> All right. The answer is not 5%, 9%, but 18.2% of their income they save, okay? What do you think it is for Australians? I have 2%, I have 2%. Do I have any lower? Do I have any lower? <laughs> the average Australian, in fact, saves minus... We made this point before in earlier parts of the series. In fact, most Australians spend 122% of what they earn. Now, Sandy's face now is like, wow. <laughs> I love you, Sandy. Give me a hug. <laughs> I bear it, uh, we better have a hug now, otherwise I'll hear about it later. <laughs> Woo! No, I love Sandy. Thomas and Sandy... Can I just say, are doing an incredible job leading our Pathways team. We have gone to the next level. I want to honor you guys. You're doing an amazing job. It's because we're so close that we can have goes at each other. Amen. All right. What was I doing? Auction time. Yeah, 122% of our, of our income we spend. Okay? So we spend $1.22 for every dollar we earn on average. Okay? Um, and so we want to talk about biblical principles that relate to saving and investing. Who knows that there is a difference uh, between a need and a want and a desire? Who knows that? Okay. Uh, we need to eat. Who believes that? Yeah. <laughs> Man. We're in our Meet the Pastors breakfast this morning, and we're talking about, you know, we have um, these guys put up a great spread of uh, savory muffins and sweet muffins, and we have a fruit platter and tea and coffee, and, and we talk about complimentary lunch, and I had... We had one, one passionate gentleman. Where is Giuseppe? Here, brother. He was passionate. The meet the pastor's breakfast this morning. He's like, amen. These guys not only believe in food, but free food. We believe in that free food tastes better. Who believes that? So we need to eat, okay? We need to eat, all right? We want, everyone say want. We want to go to the restaurant to eat. Do we need to go to the restaurant to eat? 
No, but we want to go to the restaurant and we desire steak and lobster. Okay, so we need to eat. We want to go to the restaurant and we desire steak and lobster. Need, want, desire. Who knows they're different things? Good. Who knows that desire usually costs more than fulfilling just a need? Uh Uh-huh. All right. We need a roof over over our head. We want a three-bedroom, two-bathroom. We desire a four-bedroom, three-bathroom, three-garage swing pool. Right? Now, we're not religious here. If you like nice things, you're allowed to have nice things. Okay? That's okay. Because as long as you're in the season where you've followed certain financial principle and all your nice things are not just on credit card and it all looks like you're, you're doing really well, but behind closed doors, you're struggling because you're just a pretender, right? That's a lack of wisdom. Everyone say lack of wisdom. So it's okay if you've got nice things, as long as you've walked out a season of wisdom that we're talking about in this teaching series to get to a place where you're not paying for your nice things on your credit card, that you've actually saved, you've invested, you've built wealth, you've built equity, whatever it is. And we've clearly said that not every Christian is called to be a multimillionaire, but every Christian is called through biblical principle to manage their finances with wisdom and with the principle of stewardship. That's true. And so my family needs a weekend off every now and then. Amen? We want to go to a four-star hotel to relax, but we desire to go to Hawaii. And who knows that Hawaii is really cool, but 75% of the dollar is now to the US dollar. So it's really expensive to go to Hawaii now, right? But these are the types of things. And those, you know, has anyone noticed on Facebook that you just start to look at a travel destination and then the next week you're flooded with these remarketing Facebook ads of all the hotels from that destination that are just going, come and visit me, (laughs) sit on the sand, the beautiful beach. Lay back, relax, let the wind blow through your hair, right? And you're like, ah, and then you click on how much would that cost? And then you're thinking now, hmm, if I I could max out that credit card and then maybe use a little bit. No. Okay. So, there's a difference between need, want, and desire. Most people spend money on their wants and desires and then there is nothing left for the next true need. That's one of the issues there. Okay, so let's have a look at some principles on how we can be better with this. Principle number one. Everyone say one. What should we save for? What should we save for? Proverbs 21, 22 says, In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. So foolishness means we don't save. We just focus on our wants and our desires majority of the time, and we don't properly plan to meet our needs first as a priority. And so what should we save for? There are three key things, practically, that we should save for to be wise. One, we should save for emergencies. Okay, one of the strategies we're going to look at this is having what we call a $1,000 emergency fund. And you may be looking at me going, $1,000? I mean, I can't even dream of having $1,000. Well, that's okay, but there's some principles where you can apply and you can build what we call a $1,000 emergency fund, where if your car breaks down or this happens, it wasn't expected. Right, it's an emergency. You don't have to ching that on the credit card. You can go into your emergency fund. The first thing you want to establish is an emergency fund. The second thing you want to do is managing your purchases, making sure you've got a proper budget and you're not overspending. Right? So things like, you know, recently Sarah and I just went, mm, Netflix might need to go to the grave for a little while. Okay, cha-ching, because it's just this little thing, right? It's like, okay, we're tight, we wanna it's it's all about, you know, 
um, sometimes there are seasons where God says, just relax a little bit and loosen the clothing. And sometimes he says, you need to tighten it all up. All right. We're in a season right now where we want to tighten it all up because we want to keep practicing what we're preaching here at church. It's about being wise. So looking at your purchasing, looking at your habits, looking at all the things you subscribe to. One of the biggest things that catches people is a lot of times a buying model now is you don't pay it for one-off, you just subscribe to something that creates great cash flow for the thing that you're buying, but actually adds up over time to really drain your bank balance because you're not aware of all the choices that you've made. Future. Then also you've got to have some saving for the future, and that is the things that you're wanting to plan for and invest into. Okay, so this is, this, is, this is critical when we look at this first principle. And it's all about understanding uh, this principle around how we, in fact, should save. How are we saving? Uh, exactly what's the principle around saving? So number one, emergencies. Car breaks down, plumbing backs up, some, someone gets sick. You need to have an emergency fund available. Number two, purchases. You're going to buy some stuff. But how are you going to buy it? And when are you going to buy it? So if you're going to buy a new couch, don't always go for the whole, you know, 24 months interest for free. It's actually better to save up for the new couch and then to buy it. Or save for a vacation, prepare better for, for, for Christmas. All these types of things. And the, 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 the crazy idea, but the wise idea, is to try and pay cash for these things over time. Uh, I, I talked about one of the principles that Harvey Normans are positioned in mostly lower socioeconomic suburbs throughout Australia. Why is that? Because uh, lower socio, without being too stereotypical, the stats clearly show that lower socioeconomic uh, communities, uh, to try and feel good about themselves, they'll buy stuff that makes them feel like they're doing okay. They'll buy the plasma screen TV, they'll buy the popcorn maker, they'll buy the latest gadget here and here, because it kind of feels like, well, at least they're kind of doing okay, but it's all you know, usually put on the 21 months 21 uh, months interest-free and, you, you know, the debt and all this kind of thing. So the Harvey Normans of the world, they really fuel their business by taking advantage of people who are not really great with their finances. A lot of people that you think are wealthy, right, because they earn more money, they just spend more of their money. So they have a bigger house or a bigger car, but they're actually just managing all this debt and most of the money that they're earning might be a lot more money than you, but they're still uh, it's going out the other way because they're just buying all these things to make themselves look worthy. True wealthy per people are actually quite strict with their finances, okay? They really watch everything and they guard everything. And so this is critical that we change our mindset around this. Uh, so what should we save for? We should make sure that we're saving for purchases. Uh, we're not just putting it all on credit. We should also save for the future. Uh, we need to retire one day. Uh, Sarah and I, we specifically over the last two years, we made a voluntary payment into our superannuation um, out of our business. Uh, we could have spent it on a vacation, we could have spent it on you know, nice big TV, we could have spent it on something like that, but we decided to invest into our superannuation. Now, who knows that that's not great fun because you can't touch your super until you retire, right? So it's forced discipline. It's literally going, oh no, bye, right? Uh, but these are things that we need to think about planning for the future. Uh, and so this scripture here, 2120, let me give you the plain talk version. Is that okay? The plain talk version is, in the house of the wise, people live off less than they make and they save for the future, but the foolish ones live paycheck to paycheck. Let me read it again. In the house of the wise, people live off less than they make 
and they save for the future, but the foolish ones live paycheck to paycheck. One of the first strategies to even start to start to build savings is you've got to first deal, deal with your debt. And the, the slide that we showed before with that table, if you're sitting here going, well, Pastor Brad, I'm drowning in debt. How can I even save? Well, you have to go with part two of the message first as your strategy to get out of that debt drain and then to start to have the residual that's used to, to manage the debt or pay off the debt now become something you can start to save and invest. So everyone say, we've got to break this down into steps. Because a lot of times, if you try to activate in a season the step that's beyond your season, you'll feel hopeless, you'll feel frustrated, you'll feel depressed, and then you'll go and buy another plasma screen TV to feel better for yourself. And it becomes a cycle. So it's about what step of this particular strategy am I at and apply that. And now that, I mean, I, I tell you, it took me two years to deal with my debt. And it was frustrating, it was annoying. It was like having scrambled eggs on toast. And I used to, I was... Um, Bachelor at the time, I remember having my gourmet meal of the week was baked beans with onion. Because I put fried onion in the baked beans, that made it gourmet. That was my gourmet meal, right? I remember one time, Sarah's still disgusted about this story today, but, you know, when, <laughs> when, when we were just started dating, um, I, I had hardly any food in the fridge, you know, because I'm just trying to nail this debt. And I had a frozen piece of chicken, and I had apricot jam. <laughs> and I had butter. That's it. No rice, no bread, nothing. And I went, you know what? I can do this. You know, apricot chicken is like really in, right? <laughs> so I mixed the butter and the apricot jam and I had an apricot chicken. It tasted disgusting. <laughs> but what tasted sweeter was when I was nailing that debt, can I tell you right now. So sometimes you have to do that to get the victory. Is anyone with me? Not the apricot chicken, but nailing the debt. Okay, all right. 75% give or take of Australians live pay paycheck to paycheck. And so we need to prioritize our dollars. Uh, and I think that the key to this, last point, this first point here is um, stick with the plan. Don't give up too early. You're going to have some setbacks. You're going to try and apply this, and you're going to have a week where it goes pear-shaped. That happened to me as well. Um, I've been a Christian for uh, just on 20 years now, and I applied this strategy in the first two years that I was a Christian, because when I became a Christian, I was on fire for God, and I loved all things about God, and His kingdom, and the Spirit of God moving, and the Word of God, and it was just like, this is really cool, and things uh, like drug addiction dropped off my life, and it was all really, really cool, but I came to this moment where God said, you know what, publicly, your expression for me is great, but privately, there's an area you're not inviting me into, and that's your finances. You're absolutely out of control and you're sinking, in fact, you're drowning, Brad, are you going to invite me in, or are you going to try and just do it yourself? And so when I invited God in, I started to apply this principle. So it's been 18 years since I applied that now, the debt thing, and so I'm in a position where I can talk about freely that there are uh, instances where you apply this and you get frustrated, you get annoyed, but the one encouragement I want to say this is this, do not give up too soon. Do not give up too soon. When you apply this, if you draw near to God, He will draw near to you. Stick with the plan. Uh, be faithful. God will show up. Let me say that to you. God will show up in your finances if you stick to this. And you can trust, you can trust God because He'll start to break through. These are principles. His, return, His word does not return void. Who believes that? Awesome. Point number two, let's move to the next slide, is that there are two ways to make money. Hmm. 
Yes, that is the right slide. Thank you. I was looking for a different image, but anyway, good. Thumbs up. Everyone give me a thumbs up. Good. This is the right slide. Thank you, AV team. All right. Uh, prioritize your dolly, dollars. Hang on a second. Have I skipped something here? Maybe I'm on the wrong point. Uh, I am. AV team, you had it right. I skipped the wrong page. This is a problem when you double side print on your notes. Does anyone notice that? You go like that and you think you're on track, but you've actually skipped a page. I just skipped a page. Let's give our A team a round of applause. They've kept me on track. No wonder I was confused. Number two, prioritize your dollars. Okay, these are the five key things you want to do as a priority. That's biblical. And this is what I followed in the first two years as being a Christian. When I became a Christian, I was absolutely sinking in debt. I owed all these people money. And I had a, I've told you know, the congregation here many times, I used to have a filing cabinet. And I used to open it, and it used to make me depressed, so I used to close it. <laughs> all right? And finally gave me a strategy for God said, I'm going to get you to open it, and you're going to keep it open until all of those things are paid off. I remember being in a, a share home accommodation, and I remember opening that filing cabinet, and I would decree. I said, in the name of Jesus, this debt is going to diminish, and it's going to disappear. I'm going to get victory over these finances. I'm called to be the head, not the tail. I'm called to be a steward of your uh, provision, God, and I'm going to break through. God, you're going to help me. You're going to give me the wisdom. I used to pray for the spirit of wisdom to come upon me. I used to say, God, I'm sorry. I've been foolish. I repent. God, just infuse me with wisdom. Give me a sense of, of priority that I need to manage these finances to honor you, to give you glory. I'm going to get victory over this, God. I used to keep decreeing it, declaring it. And even though the situation didn't diminish straight away like a, you know, like some kind of a it's gone. It was there, but it was eroding bit by bit. And what was critical for me is I had weeks that were frustrating, but I kept attacking it in prayer. And that gave me the motivation to keep applying the discipline with the principles because it wasn't easy. But can I tell you, it is worthwhile, particularly when I look at some of the things that I get to now do, uh, particularly with blessing people with my finances. Number one is tie 10% to God. We've covered that. That was last uh, it, what it does is it means that you trust God, not just with your prayer. You don't just trust God with your heart condition. You trust God with your life. Everything is God's, and, and that's why you need to honor Him with your finances. Also, what it nicely does is it takes the God of this world, right? Can I, can I be challenging, right? Uh, I don't think the only reason why people don't like tithing, I don't think this is the only reason, but I think this is some of the reasons sometimes is because uh, we just don't like uh, handing our money out to, to things that aren't necessarily going to come back to us straight away. I think there are problems with that. And I think the reason why this is so powerful is, I've said this many times, is that when you consistently give to God, you powerfully do this. You go in and you deal with elements of your private world that no one else, not even your husband or wife or your children would know about and that is how exactly is your heart around money do you put your trust in money or do you put your trust in in, in god and some people don't like hearing that because it's very convicting and i get that but i think the word of god is sometimes designed to be convicting because what i really believe is that the number one god that this world worships is in fact money whether you believe that or not that's what i personally believe i think there's not the only god that this world worships but i think it is the, the main one, that people sacrifice their families for money, people will lay down uh, their life for money, and I really believe it is, and when we take that God and we submit it underneath our God, come on now, 
when we actually give money to God and we submit our finances to God, what does that mean? We've got the right priorities. We've got the kingdom order. We're submitting the God of this world underneath the God that we worship. It's about position of your heart. And uh, the Bible clearly says that where, come on, who knows the scripture? Where? Sing it out, Leroy. Yeah, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And so where your treasure is, your money, your provision, your finances, where is it positioned? Is it positioned under God or is it positioned beside Him or is it positioned above Him? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It is, in fact, an act of worship. Giving is an act of worship. Who believes that? Number two, minimal living expenses. So this key principle is you've got to tithe 10%. And the second thing is it's about working out, well, what are your minimal living expenses? What's the money that you need to have your needs fulfilled, to buy food, to pay for electricity, to pay for your rent or your mortgage, to pay for petrol in your car? What are the basic needs that you have in this season of your life and budget out what that is because that's what you need to pay for. Uh, Then you've got to build the Ono Fund, the emergency fund. And start putting money aside where you can have the Ono Fund. And then, then you've got to start to pay off debt, uh, which is the strategy we looked at um, on that big slide. You've got to start to attack the debt like I, like I did. And, and then once you've done that, then you're start to able to use that residual that you're using to pay off debt to start to invest in shares or invest in property or invest in a, uh, mutual funds or uh, whatever it is. Um, or you know, give to people, invest in the kingdom of God, whatever it is. And the key here is to stick with the plan. So what I want you to do, let's just quickly activate this. I want you to write down those five or write down which ones you're currently doing and which ones aren't you doing. Just in the privacy, no one needs to look to the left or the right. And I want you to also determine, have I got these in the right order? Because I think what happens is uh, people mistakenly skip to number D too early when they haven't even budgeted their minimal living expenses. And then, so they make these payments on a credit card. Let's say you've got a a nice piece of furniture and you make this big credit card payment, but then you don't have enough money for fuel. And then you can't get to work on time. And then that affects your whole identity. So it's about, you've got to look at these stages and the right steps. For me, I wanted to pay off the debt too early. I got a mentor who worked in the banking industry and this is exactly the plan that he gave me. He said, first, Brad, I want you to commit to tithing to God. Then secondly, let's work out your minimal living expenses, your budget. And I said, but what about this debt? He said, yeah, we're going to get to that. But we can't actually come up with a strategy unless we know these other steps. So he says, we've got to create a, a bit of an emergency fund. So I want you... Now, with the emergency fund, I was working... I was studying acting part-time at night. I was studying university full-time during the day. And I uh, worked the Novotel. And I, I did different shifts. So I did room service the Novotel. I did waitering. Um, what else did I do? I did the room service, waitering. Um, I did um, sometimes a bit of the stewarding. And I did these extra jobs. I did some teaching at the acting school to just get some extra money so I could start to pay off the debt uh, to nail it. Once that was uh, done, then uh, we bought our first property because I had that, that, that payment plan that I was using with the debt. We were able to save some money to buy a deposit to buy a first property. Then we got equity th- th- through that first property. We were able to invest in another property. Then we got equity through that property. We were able to invest in another property. Then we were able to invest in shares. Then we were able to launch a business. And so you've got to stick with the plan. Is there anyone here that's sensing there is a sense of hope and a strategy that the Bible wants to release here today? Come on. 
you can get victory over your finances. So you've got to prioritize your dollars by following those five. Uh, because somewhere along the way when you do this, God really starts to move. Let's look at the next slide, point three, which is the one that I was just trying to skip to. Two ways to make money. Let's really simplify this. Because you're thinking, well, okay, uh, you know, how exactly do I, do I start to bring in finances if I'm a little bit completely stuck here to even implement this strategy? Well, the first way to make money, uh, if you look at 2 Thessalonians 3.10, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. Um, pretty black and white wisdom right there, okay? Uh, You've got to make money. You've got to work. Uh, can I just say this? Do you know in Australia, we are one of the most privileged nations. Do you know in the United States, you can't live off the dole, right? So if there's anyone here on the dole, I'm not here to shame you, but can I say this? In the United States, you, 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 you can't survive on the government payment. You cannot. Here you actually can. You can scrape by, all right? And I want to say this to you. I think it is absolutely a part of the call of God in Christians' lives to have a work ethic. I think we need to have a work ethic. It doesn't necessarily mean we have to work hard for the rest of our lives, but we need to have a work ethic. I think Proverbs clearly says, be mindful of laziness, be, be mindful of just lazing about and, and just you know, having a holiday the whole time. It's important to have a holiday every now and then. It's, a, it's important to have a break. But can I tell you, godly, I think a godly character means that you have a work ethic. Anyone here agree with that? So if you know you've had, you, you sometimes battle with laziness, can I just say, I, I did. I mean, I struggled to go from full-time uni to work full-time. The whole idea of that transition stressed me out. Because I liked uni. It was like, this is cool. I get to just chill, and my excuse is, I'm studying. <laughs> right? I loved it. Now, no offense to full-time uni students, but you know what I'm talking about. There's a lot more flexibility, right? A lot of the university students here, you work part-time. You know, you're trying to you know, get ahead anyway. So that's cool. But let me just say this. It is one of the hardest practical transitions I've ever had to make. Because when you're at high school, you're actually a lot more disciplined because your teachers hold you accountable. University, you don't have the level of accountability, so you can form these really bad habits. In fact, I had a gap year first, then I went to university. So I was like Mr. Cruzy the whole time. And then when I went into a full-time job, I was like, oh my goodness. This is like, this is like, this is like full-time. <laughs> is this really what my life has to be like? Can I just say, get over it quickly, get in there, and get going. Right? This, let's look at the next slide. The next way to make money, uh, next slide is money also will make money for you. This is about understanding the second way that you make money is once you start taking your money that you've strategically started to put aside because you've dealt with your debt, you've got your emergency fund, you've got your basic living expenses and you're not focusing too much on your wants and desires but you're meeting your needs and you're tithing to God and honoring Him, then you're able to start to invest the money that you can save or the, the residual um, into things because money makes money. It makes money when you're sleeping. Everyone say amen to that. Matthew 25, 16, the man who had received the five talents when it uh, went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. He invested what he was given so it could produce more. This is a biblical principle. Proverbs 13, 11 says, Dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow when you put it in the right place. So you physically make money for the time that you hand over to an employer or to a, a workforce or in your business, and then 
you know, you get, well, a business can, can also turn into a system where you're not actually giving your time, but you're creating systems to make money. But that's another, that's a whole other, you know, topic. So it's key to understand that you should not eventually, it may not be the season right now because you need to nail debt, but eventually you shouldn't just be looking at your way. You should be creating other streams of income by taking some percentage of your money and investing it because money makes money. I mentioned before um, a great friend, Chris, here, has got an app on his phone. When he goes to purchase, say, a bottle of water, he's programmed that when that comes out of his bank account, that, say, 10% of that purchase then goes into his savings account. So as he swipes that and he pays, can you even believe I'm saying $5 for a bottle of water? Who would even think you'd have to pay $5 for a bottle of water these days? That's a whole other sermon, amen? All right, $5 for water, ching-ching at the petrol station, and automatically 50 cents out of his bank account that he wouldn't even notice also goes into a separate bank account that starts to accrue, and it's in an interest-earning account, or it's in a mutual funds account that's starting to, to build wealth. All right, and it's just happening when he's making everyday purchases. Who thinks that they'd recognize the 50 cents going out of the account? You're not going to, right? Usually your bank fees are more than that, amen? <sighs> so two ways to make money. Let's have a look at this next slide to illustrate here. Money makes money. Let's say, say you take $5 a day. Everyone say $5. You take $5 a day and you invest it in an account for 12%. Now, these days, a 12% interest account is a little bit on the high side, okay, because interest rates are low. So sometimes a 5% or a 6%, but you can go into mutual funds that usually will give you a return of between 8 to 12%, depending on, you know, when I talk about mutual funds, it's just you, you, you invest in a mutual fund and you have, you know, can I just say just nerdy people who are really good at that stuff, they organize that for you. Right, but you just put it into a mutual funds. But if you take $5 a day, let's look, look at the principle of that money makes money. $5 a day invested in, say, mutual funds at 12% over time. After five years of putting $5 a day, you've got 12250 Everyone say, yee Grandma. No disrespect if you're a grandma here. We love you. After 10 years, 34505 After 20 years, 148388 After 30 years, 524244 After 40 years, 1 million... Did I say one million? One million seven hundred sixty-four thousand seven hundred sixteen dollars, and after fifty years, five million eight hundred fifty-eight thousand and seven hundred fifty dollars. Everyone say, whoa. "Whoa!" And what are you doing? All you're doing, all you're doing. Yes, mums in the house are turning to their sons, going, "Son, get onto this. Get onto this now, Daniel." <laughs> Cash is like, "Daniel, look at the slide." Okay, Daniel, how old are you? 15. So if you start doing this, when you're 65, you'll have 5,858,750. Now, when you... What did I say? 500,000. Yeah, 5 million. Now, it's 65. Is that right? 65. Yeah, 65. What would you do with 5,858,750 if you just invested $5 a day? What would you do? Buy an island. Yes. <laughs> Invite all of us if we're still alive. Amen. Party time. Cool. So money... Plus time, plus consistency equals wealth. Everyone write down that equation. And this is not a wealth creation seminar. This is a biblical principle. Well, money plus time. Money that God gives you, taking a percentage over time plus consistency builds wealth. And that's just $5 a day. $5 a day. Next slide. Let's look at this fourth point. Number four is biblical rules of investing. Let's look at these three principles. Is everyone getting something from this today? Good. Number one principle about biblical rules of investing. Don't try to get rich quick. 
Okay, the Bible actually warns you about falling for that. It's not biblical. Uh, can you build wealth? Yes, but don't try to do it too quick because uh, it's actually not biblical. Okay. Now, it doesn't mean that, you know, if you win the lotto tomorrow, we're not saying that's ungodly. In fact, yeah, invite us to your party. That's awesome. <laughs> okay. But don't be suckered in to the alluring, the allurement, if that's even a word. Don't be lured in to the attractiveness of just, you know, hardly having to do anything and hitting the jackpot. Okay, unless it's lotto, right? But I'm not a big fan of gambling anyway, so if lotto's your thing awesome that's great i'm not here to judge but i don't i don't invest in lotto i invest in the kingdom of god i invest in things that over time relate to this the equation that we saw on the last slide so 1 timothy 6 9 says people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction now if that's not a scripture that sobers you up a little bit i don't know what is it's a good wise uh, scripture there to say, hey, it's okay to want to create wealth, uh, but just make sure that you do it with wisdom, okay? So one principle here that's biblical in terms of investing, uh, don't just chase after the latest shiny object, right? Uh, for example, I mean, I'm in the coaching business, coaching and training business, and there's people who will say, you know, I made $20 million in the first six months. It's like, well, you know what? That's interesting, but... Mm, I don't know anyone who makes 20 million in the first six months unless like, you know, you're best friends with someone who's given you a lot of money and then some of those come off there. So it's just, just be, be mindful of some of the things that you get lured into. Next, let's have a look at the next slide. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Um, I think this is important. I think most financial planners would talk about the principle of diversification. Uh, for example, uh, Sarah and I, we have, we have uh, three properties, but the last couple of seasons we've been investing in shares and in stocks because we wanted to diversify and also superannuation. That's just what we've felt to do. Also because the property market has been less, uh, less stable and less kind of increasing in Australia. And, and so that's just the choice that we've made. But just to give you a personal example of just diversify things, create a buffet or a smorgasbord of different things that you're doing rather than just putting all the eggs in one basket. A little bit different if you're trying to build a business um, because obviously you're trying to get it to a certain level where it can start to be fruitful. Um, but I think also apart from your business, you should have other angles of what you're doing when you're in that season where you have the residual to do that. Ecclesiastes 11.2, give portions to seven, yes to eight, for you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. Again, a sobering scripture, but it's just saying stuff happens. Uh, stock markets can crash. Uh, you know, what, what Bitcoin. You know, it's nowhere near as attractive as was it was, you know, five months ago. Um, my brother-in-law actually invested in Bitcoin and it was up to a significant amount, right? And then it came crashing down. But he's, you know, he, he's okay because he diversifies. So he hasn't put all of his stuff in Bitcoin, right? In fact, he wanted to do something with his Bitcoin and then he just left it there. He says, oh, this just keeps going. And then all of a sudden, he goes, oh, it'll turn around. Oh, it'll turn around. And uh, most of it's gone, right? And good, he's not crying in the corner though, going, oh my gosh, my life is ruined because he hasn't just invested in Bitcoin. He's got shares, he's got property, he's got other things that he's doing. And so that's an example of wisdom because sometimes things do go pear-shaped. The third principle we want to talk about, I'm going to ask the musos to come, uh, is don't invest in what you don't understand. Don't invest in what you don't understand because I think 
Jesus is all about giving you the confidence of Christ. It's like, you know, when it comes to the Word of God and you're applying wisdom, you have a sense of confidence. I think sometimes, let me say this. What I love about God is God does not encourage us to be led by emotions and feelings. So the whole concept of, oh, but God told me to do this. Well, that's great. Did you back it up with Scripture? Because that's actually a principle of hearing from God. Did you back it up with Scripture? Because a gunman in the U.S., can go around saying, oh, God told me to shoot these 20 people. Well, in the scripture it says, do not commit murder. So no, that was not hearing from God. That was just you being weird. <laughs> so at Forever House, we really believe in solid teaching that's anchored to the word. So when, when someone says, oh, I, I, I hear from God, that's great. But did you apply the principles that the Bible clearly teaches of what hearing from God actually looks like? Because having a ream of word from the Holy Spirit is great, but we all have blind spots. That's why we believe in accountability. No one is exempt from having a blind spot. You can think you're in a really great place, and yet there may be an area that you'd not even be able to see because you're positioning yourself under an umbrella of pride, saying, I can hear from God, and I don't really need to be accountable to anyone. That right there is the first step to a fall. So we believe in healthy accountability. We believe in, you know, get, get wisdom from a couple of people. Get, get some wise counsel. Look at Scripture. Get some wise counsel. There are different ways that God in His kingdom has designed to give you confidence and confirmation that you are, in fact, hearing from God. Don't be a lone ranger. Oh, I can hear from God. Have you studied the Scripture? Have you got confirmation from the Word of God? Have you got around a couple of wise Christians who have good fruit in their lives? Have you bounced it off them? Or are you just running ahead because it feels good? I think the same principle applies to this. Don't invest in what you don't understand because there's going to be a lot of things that feel good. Be careful of the advertising and marketing out there. It is fueled on emotion. It is designed to get you to feel excited. But if you don't understand the mechanics of how something works, God would say, well, pause, stop, and do the research. Do the research. The greatest thing that advertisers will use inappropriately is a fear of missing out. It's called the FOM. F-O-M, fear of missing out, or FOMO, whatever they call it. Is that what it is? FOMO, yeah. You shouldn't have a fear of missing out. You should have a fear of not getting confirmation through the principles that God has given you to get confirmation. And part of that, I think, is understanding it. Get wisdom. 20, Proverbs 24, 3, 4. By wisdom, a house is built. And through understanding, it is established. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. Let me read that again. By wisdom, a house is built. And through understanding, it is established. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures, which means this. Fruit, everyone say fruit. Good fruit. Can I tell you, I think that one of the strongest heartbeats of Jesus Christ is to see fruit be established in character, but also in our lives. Fruitfulness comes from wisdom. Fruitfulness comes from us having the confidence of making the right decisions because we've got confirmation. 
And I think it's critical to understand if you're going to invest in property, understand the basic mechanics of how it works. If you're going to invest in shares, understand the basic mechanics. You might get an expert in to help you to understand that, but do that first. Don't rush into something because you're being led from a fear of missing out. And I think that fear of missing out can apply to all different things in our lives, not just our finances. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. Holy Spirit, fill this place with your presence. Lord, you're a loving God. You're the greatest father figure we could ever imagine. I thank you, Lord, that you bring your word into our lives to guide us, to direct us, to correct us, to encourage us, to strengthen us. I thank you, Lord, that your word is truth, and the truth sets us free. I thank you, Lord, that your word is like a guiding light that lights the pathway where we're to walk and where we're to travel. And many times, God, you you say it's a narrow path. And I thank you, Lord, that when we think about a narrow path, a narrow path usually has borders. It has areas where we can go, but it also has areas where we can't go. And sometimes, Father, we feel restricted or limited when we can't just make a decision here or make a decision here when we're guided by your word. But I thank you, Lord, that freedom actually comes from order, and order is built into your word. I thank you, Lord, when we're aligned to your word, when we take on your principles and don't just get led by our emotions that, Lord, we're, uh, we're walking along a fruitful path. So, Father, I thank you, Lord, as we close this teaching series, that we pray, Father, for order in our finances. Just let's have a look at the next slide as we open our eyes after I prayed there, the last slide. So mind your business, which means get your finances in order. Start to get your mindset in order. See it as God's provision. Number two, act your wage. Don't spend more than you're earning. Be disciplined. Number three, blessed or curse. Operate in the principles of the kingdom of God and tithe. Number four, the buck starts with you as it, it's your responsibility now to look at these strategies and to start to walk them out. Let's stand as we finish with one last prayer to lock this in. Father, we declare that you're a God of revelation and Lord, what you've released Lord, as wisdom, Father, we pray for a mantle of wisdom to be released upon your people. And we thank you, Father, for breakthrough. We thank you for answers. We thank you, Lord, for blueprints. We thank you, Lord, for insights into our finances. Lord, wherever we are, help us, God. Guide us, God. We invite you into our financial world. Help us to be good stewards in this season and in this hour. Lord, be a blessing as this word takes root as it takes ground in our lives, Father, we pray for fruit to come from this teaching series. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said, amen. Let's give God some praise.